the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, and welcome to In the Word, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. We hope that God speaks to you today as we join senior Pastor Will Ramirez in a study of the book of Numbers. The Israelites did not trust God to bring them into the promised land. God had showed mercy by promising to bring everyone younger than 21 into the land of promise. God was still trying to draw them deeper into a relationship with Him. But there were still many with rebellious hearts. Korah, Dathan, Abiram, and On brought up charges against Moses and Aaron. Moses warns them that they are rebelling against God. We continue with Pastor Will in Numbers chapter 16, verse 9. He says to them, Seems it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel has separated you, set you apart from the congregation of Israel to bring near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them. And he has brought you near to him and all your brethren, the sons of Levi with you. And now you seek the priesthood also. That's why both you and all the company are gathered together here against the Lord. You're ambitious. What is Aaron that you murmur against him? Moses pulls him aside and says, your request here, your demand here, you're belittling your current ministry. When he says, here, I pray you, he's saying, please, you gotta listen to me. Don't do this, repent. Now, I love that because Moses is pleading with the very men who want him gone. What a merciful man he was. I don't know if I'm merciful like that, but you know, the Lord is, isn't he? How many times have we accused the Lord of things or we've done our own thing and the Lord takes us back? The Lord's gracious and patient with us, merciful to us. God help all of us who lead whatever capacity it might be to be merciful like Moses. But he says, is it but a small thing to you? The word small thing means too little or just a trifle. Is it a trifle that you you get to carry the furniture and you get to minister to God's people as they come to the tabernacle to check the sheep and to teach them God's word? Is that a trifle to you? Is that no big deal? No matter your position, you must never belittle it because it isn't as glorious as to what someone else is doing in your eyes. The truth is God doesn't owe you and me anything and so anything he asks us to do is a privilege. It's a privilege to do whatever he asks us to do. And so I'd ask you, do you see your role in in church or in your family or your job that way as a privilege from God? You know, a lot of times I would be mad about my boss or my work situation, whatever, and the Lord would start to convict me and I'd be like, you know what, Lord? I have a job. (laughs) There are people right now who don't have a job. What am I whining about? This week, I was invited to a pastor's luncheon and the guest speaker was, um, remember the two missionaries who were taken hostage in the Philippines around 9-11. There was a terrorist organization that took them. They were in captivity for like a year, a little bit over a year, I think it was 17 months. And when the rescue attempt came from the Philippine government, the husband was shot and killed and she was shot but lived. Well, she was a guest speaker. She was talking about all her sufferings and trials in the jungles of the Philippines traveling with these terrorists. Later on, most of those terrorists got arrested. And you know what she did? Her and her organization did? They went and they preached the gospel to them in prison. Four of them have gotten saved. I'm sitting in that seat as I'm eating my cheesecake and I'm going, what do I whine about? Why do I have nothing to whine about? Everything that God gives to us, it's a privilege. We can't look at what someone else has and think, why do I have that? Someone's gonna have more than you, no matter how much you have. 
That's why he says, you guys have belittled your current ministry. But he also warns them because they have selfish ambition. You know, he says in verse 10, and he has brought you near to himself. Like you're closer to God than anybody else in the nation. That's not enough for you. Why wasn't it enough? Because see, their delight wasn't in being closer to the Lord. They had selfish ambitions for something else. That was what they were looking for. Moses tells them, you want what you want? You want the priesthood. You think it's some glorious thing and you want it. You seek the priesthood also. Good question to ask ourselves is how much will be enough? How much will be enough? I love when they, I think it was Rockefeller, they asked him, how much money is enough money? He goes, just a bit more. It's true. You know, just a bit more. Something I encourage couples when we do premarital counseling with them, as I say, decide now how you want to live your life and then stay there for the rest of your life. Because you know what happens? God begins to bless you. You begin to accumulate some things over time as you manage your money well, and you get some nicer things. And then you get some more nicer things and more nicer things. I don't even know if that's proper English, but you get nicer things. And then lo and behold, you're used to nice things everywhere that you just keep getting nicer things. And now you can't afford the nicer things, but you got to maintain because you don't want to lose it. I remember we had a real estate agent for high-end folks who came to our church for a little bit. She said one time, she goes, you know, half those homes, Heathrow was a big place to live back then. I don't know what it is now. But she said, half those homes are empty. She's like, they only have one or two furnished rooms. I said, really? Why? She goes, they can't afford to put furniture in the rest of them. All the expenses to do the upkeep around there and to live there and the homeowner's fees, it's too high. By the way, if you live there or if you live in a nice society, I don't care. I'm not critiquing you for that. But the idea was, she goes, none of them can afford it. And she goes, I'm constantly selling homes in there because people can't live there. They can't stay there. And I'm like, man, you can live a great life if you just set where you want to live from the start and then just enjoy that. You work towards it and then when you get there, you enjoy it and whatever you make extra, you just say, Lord, what do you want me to do with it? And you know what I found sometimes the Lord does with that? He says, go bless your family and do something nice. But you know what's cool? Sometimes he also says, go bless somebody else and you can do that too. You never have to be in those chains where you're like, oh, more, more, more. And then you're like, oh, we can't maintain our lives. Remember me and Bev, we made a decision early on. We said, we want to serve the Lord full time. So we set the bar really low. And I know $21,000 a year doesn't seem like anything these days, but it wasn't that much back in the day either. And we would have people who come in and made six figures and said, we can't live on this. We don't make enough money. And we tell them, we say, we make $21,000 a year. And their jaw would just drop. And we would explain to them and say, you can live wherever the Lord puts you. You just have to decide to live there within your means. Little financial lesson for you there. But why did I say that? First Timothy 6.6, 6, godliness with contentment is great gain. Being content with where you at is a beautiful, awesome thing. And when you live for the Lord, on top of that, you are more wealthy than anybody else can be. I love what Moses says at the end here. He goes, what is Aaron that you murmur against it? Like you got some idea that, that he's got some prestigious spot. Like Aaron's great. Like, man, I'd love to be Aaron. Really? You'd love to watch your two kids get burned up because they made a mistake in the tabernacle? You'd like the extra responsibility and the extra requirements? You'd like the scrutiny, not just of people, but the Lord that no one else experiences with that type of position? That's what you want? What do you think he has that you don't have aside from extra responsibility, extra work? What do you think so glorious about this? You know, we can get in our mind's eye this idea of being the boss or being at this different stratosphere of the economy and your life or whatever it might be. And you think, oh, I need that. You don't really know what that person who's in that spot of responsibility goes through. Were they prepared to pay such a price that it might cost them their family? You know, it's interesting. Many think they are and they just blunder right in and they grab that authority. When they wrest that authority for themselves, finally, they wield it like a tyrant because they've never learned the price of serving. Listen, serving will cost you everything. If you want to lead, and if you want to lead a lot of people, it will cost you everything. You know what Paul said in regards to spiritual authority? He said, woe unto me if I don't preach the gospel. Paul didn't say, 
man, this is awesome. I just, this is the best spot in the whole wide world. He's no, he said, woe unto me. I, I dare not preach the gospel because woe unto me. If I'm not faithful with this task, Paul said another part of the same letter. He said, I keep my body under lest I get put on the shelf. It's a heavy responsibility. If you're going to lead people, most of us have some responsibility. And I would ask you, how do you wield that authority? Maybe in your marriage or in your parenting or your job or your ministry. Is that your heart towards it? Towards your marriage? Woe unto me if I don't love my wife like Christ loves the church. You better be. Woe unto me if I don't train my children up in the way that they should go in the fear of the Lord. You better be. Woe unto me if I don't faithfully love those kids even though they drive me nuts sometimes. You better be because you're gonna have to answer for that someday. If I were the pastor, you'd hurt a lot of people. That's what you'd do. If that's your attitude, you'd hurt a lot of people because you've got the word I in there and I will always hurt people. Jesus will bless people. I will not. Doing God's work isn't butterflies and rainbows. It's being faithful to God's appointed task, even if it means absorbing pain so others can be spared. They didn't understand that at all. Moses also needs to have a conversation with Dathan and Abiram. So verses 12 through 14 shows his efforts to do that. Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab, which said, we will not come up. He said, hey, can I talk to you guys privately? And he said, no. We're not going to come up. Look at what they say, verse 13. Is it a small thing that you've brought us up out of the land that flows with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except you have made yourself altogether a prince over us? This worked out pretty good for you, Moses. Oh, yeah, I'm going to lead you to the promised land and God's going to deliver us from our enemies and you're going to go in there and he'll be our king. Yeah, how's that worked out? It looks like you got a pretty cushy job, Moses. You're like a prince. You're like a king now. I wonder if this whole promised land thing was just something you made up so you could have power. Wow, that's pretty heavy accusation, isn't it? And so they say, we will not come up. Moreover, verse 14, you have not brought us unto a land that flows with milk and honey or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Will you put out the eyes of these men? Moreover, you have, have, you have not brought us into a land that flows with milk and honey. So you haven't brought us into the promised land or given us our fields or our vineyards. And will you put out the eyes of these men? So the idea here is you're, you're just gonna make us all, squash us all beneath you. We've got ideas. We've got thoughts about how things should be. And you're just gonna put our, our eyes and we all have no say in this. And you're just gonna be our king now, basically. We will not come up. We're not having any private conversations with you. Notice the verbiage here. Is it a small thing? Oh, now I know why Moses gets really angry afterwards because isn't that what he just said to Korah? So now we know how Korah responded to his private conversation with Moses. He went back and said, guess what he told me? Do you think it's a small thing that you get to serve God in the tabernacle? And so now they go, oh, you want a private conversation with us? Is it a trifle that you rule over us now? Ooh, man, Moses is way better than I am. I'd have been like, yeah, you know what? Forget about tomorrow morning, God. Preferably hail and fire. You don't need to do the brimstone, but hail and fire for sure. Notice they're perpetuating the attitude of unbelief that we found in chapter 14, right? God brought us here to kill us. Now they accuse Moses of the same thing. God lied to us, you did too. So we're not submitting to either of you, Moses. And when Moses hears this, he finally does get upset. Verse 15, and Moses was very wroth. (laughs) Means to burn with anger. And he said to the Lord, he prays for them, but it's not a prayer we should probably pray. He says, Lord, respect not thou their offering, for I have not taken one donkey from them, neither have I hurt one of them. The phrase there, respect not, means turn away from their offering. Lord, when they come to bring a lamb, don't accept it. When they come and they need to be forgiven when they sin, don't accept it. He's basically saying, Lord, I don't care what they do, don't forgive them. We already know, and we've gone over it in Exodus, and numbers will see it come to its worst part. Moses did have an anger problem. And the injustice of their words brought it to the surface. Therefore, we do not emulate Moses' prayer here. I hear people pray sometimes, Lord, break their teeth. And I'm like, hold on a second. What are you praying that for? Well, David prayed it. Yeah, but he was mad. Doesn't make it right. Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, the Lord's Prayer, and forgive us our debts. How? 
as we forgive our debtors, right? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us, our trespasses as we forgive those who've trespassed against us. Jesus made it very clear in the parable of the servant who owed the money to his master and was forgiven, but when he didn't forgive, he put him back in prison, that if we don't forgive, God doesn't forgive. That's a biblical principle, period. If we don't forgive, God doesn't forgive. So we cannot pray, God, don't forgive them, (laughs) okay? That's a genuine feeling Moses had. And if you've prayed that before, just because you're angry, I get it. Just don't expect God to answer it because we should not be praying that way. Rather, we should be praying, Lord, forgive them. Like Jesus, they don't realize what they're doing. Or even maybe they know full well what they're doing, but Lord, be gracious to them because they need you. So verse 16, when Moses hears this, he said unto Korah, and he said, you know what, you guys, be ready for the morning. You have not changed at all. He says unto Korah, be thou and all their company before the Lord, you and they and Aaron tomorrow. And you take every man a censer and you put incense in them and you bring them before the Lord, every man a censer, 250 censers, you also, and Aaron, each of you a censer. Every one of you guys bring one of those coal pans and we're gonna find out the answer to this question tomorrow. So what does the morning bring? Verse 18. And they took every man his censer and they put fire in them and they laid incense thereon and they stood in the door or at the entrance to the tabernacle of the congregation with Moses and Aaron. So you got 250, what appears to be three other guys, Aaron, Moses are right there at the entrance to the tabernacle and they're all holding their censers with smoky incense coming up out of them. Probably smelled really good, but there's about to be a different kind of barbecue. And so it says in verse 19, and Korah, Not only did they come, but Korah brought people with him. Korah gathered all the congregation against them unto the door of the tabernacle of the congregation. And the glory of the Lord appeared unto all the congregation. So we see we get here and and Korah now has stirred up a bad attitude in the entire nation. It says he brings them all up against Moses and Aaron. They're already there to see Moses and Aaron go away. Now, my guess is Korah expected nothing to happen. There'd be no judgment from God, nothing. And Moses and Aaron would finally be done in. There'd be no escape for them. They would be finished. But like Joshua and Caleb's dire situation, God intervenes. So what does he do? It was glory appeared unto all the congregation, verse 20. And the Lord spake unto Moses and unto Aaron said, separate yourselves from among this congregation that I may consume them in a moment. Translation, step away from the blast zone, please. Pretty much. The word there, consume, means to wipe out. In a moment, means in a flash. This won't take long. I'm going to finish this for sure. Now, a good leader never steps away from the blast zone. A good leader puts himself in the gap between him and the Lord, them and the Lord, and says, Lord, I know they deserve this, but will you please be merciful to them? And that's what Moses does here. And Aaron both, verse 22. And they fell upon their faces and said, O God, the God of the spirits of all flesh, shall one man sin and will you be angry, burn with anger with all the congregation? They deserved this. They'd rejected God's plan and God's leader on the edge of the promised land, but he showed them mercy there. But now they repay that mercy by doing it all over again here. And yet God doesn't want to destroy them. He wants to show them mercy. Moses, knowing this, instead of leaving, he intercedes again. I love the phrase here, the God of the spirits of all flesh. Lord, whether they're submitted to you or not, I know you're their God. You are God. I know you love them. I know you care about them. What's interesting is Moses only uses this phrase for God one other time. In fact, this phrase for God is only used one other time in all of scripture. When Moses asked God to give them a good leader after he's gone. You know, I read through that and I just wanted to cry because I just thought, Lord, I get angry at people. I don't love them like this. Moses, I mean, after all he put up with, when he's about to die, he says, God, give him a leader after your heart. Give him a leader who will teach him, a leader who will train him in your ways, a leader who will be patient with him, a leader who will love them. This is a guy who's been mistreated misread, abused. But the truth is, they might drive him crazy, but he genuinely cares about them. He doesn't want to see them wiped out. 
And the truth is, if he feels that way about them, then he surely knows that God loves them even more. So he says that, God, you're the God of the spirits of all flesh. You love everybody. And so he says, Lord, in light of that, shall one man sin? This is Korah's fault. And will you be angry with all the congregation? Wipe them all out? See, it's on the basis of God's love that he asks God to be merciful, only holding the instigator accountable. Now, I might be saying, wait a second, Will, isn't sin sin? Aren't they all equally guilty? I hear that phrase, and I understand why people say it. They say it because all sin separates us from God equally. It's not like if you sin murder-wise, you're like less saved than the person who just yells at people. No, no, all sin separates us from God. But all sin isn't the same. All sin isn't the same. And Korah's rebellion and his instigation this year is different than the people. See, Moses knows that God has to deal with Korah if the nation is going to be okay because he's unrepentant. But he doesn't want them to deal with the people that way because they're not like that. And so what does God do? Does he hear Moses' prayer? Yes. And he gives the people another chance. Verse 23. The Lord spoke unto Moses saying, speak unto the congregation saying, get you up. Same phrase. It means clear the blast zone, please. It means to move away from. He says, get you up from about the tents of Korah, Datham, and Abiram. And so Moses rose up and he went unto Datham and Abiram and all the leaders of Israel are now following him because they've heard the Lord. His presence is there. And so he speaks unto all the congregation who's gathered there and he says, depart, I pray you, from the tents of these wicked men and touch nothing of theirs lest you be consumed in all their sins. He doesn't tell them what's gonna happen. The earth's gonna swallow these guys up in a minute, but he doesn't say that lest the earth swallow you up. He says, choose, make a choice. Trust the Lord or throw in your lot with these guys. You can't be middle ground. You gotta pick a side. Now, Here's why the Lord loves to show mercy. Because look, verse 27. So they got up from the tabernacle of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram on every side. And so Dathan and Abiram came out and they stood in the door of their tents and their wives and their sons, with their wives and their sons and their little children. What's interesting here is Moses prayed for one man. He said, Lord, I know you have to deal with Korah, but how about everybody else? Give him another shot. But the Lord says, I will deal with Korah but I'm going to deal with these two guys too because they're not getting another chance. Which is interesting because it shows that Moses forgave these guys and they were even harsher to him than Korah was. But the Lord deals with all three. Moses had to rise up because remember, they wouldn't come see him. Will Israel remain defiant? No, they leave. They leave, but these guys remain defiant. It says they came out and they stood in the door of their tent. The word stood there means to stand rigidly, like to take a firm stance to say, I'm not moving, buddy. I hear your threats, but I'm not moving. Now, truth is, I believe God would have shown them mercy if they humbled themselves too. But they remained defiant as ever, not even letting their families get to safety. Oh, no, no, no. No, no, no. My wife and my kids, they're all going to stand right here with me. I don't fear God at all. And I don't fear you, Moses. Well, once everybody's cleared the blast zone, verse 28. And Moses said, Hereby you shall know that the Lord has sent me to do all these works. For I have not done them of my own hand. All the things that I've instructed you on, God's laws, God's order, I didn't create that. He says, and here's how you'll know it. If these men die the common death of all men, if they just die of old age, or it says that if they be visited after the visitation of all men, you know, they're, they're out working, working them with you know, animals and they gets kicked in the head by a cow and it cracks his skull and he dies. That just happens sometimes. If that's how these guys die, then the Lord hasn't sent me. But if the Lord make a new thing, the word there means to create a creation, to do something miraculous. If the Lord do something miraculous here, and what will it be? If the earth opens her mouth and swallow them up, with all that are with them, all their stuff and all the people who stood with them. And they'd go down quick, not quickly, but alive into the pit, into the grave. Then you will understand that these men have provoked the Lord. 
And it came to pass, as he made an end of speaking all these words, that the ground clave asunder, they burst open. It just, the idea is it just, with a crack, it just burst open. That was under them. And the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up and their houses and all the men that are pertained to Korah, everybody that stood with them and all their goods. And they and all that pertained to them went down alive into the pit and the earth closed upon them and they perished from among the congregation. You know, one wouldn't think Israel would need another demonstration of God's power, but before we're too critical of them, I don't think we're much different. You know, God comes through for us over and over again, but we question if he's there in a new crisis. We rebel when God disciplines us, but then we rebel again as if he's not watching this time. Let's not be stubborn like that. Verse 34, God's not done. Party is not over. And all Israel that were round about them fled at the cry of them. I mean, this, everyone heard the screams as the earth swallowed them up. Then it's, for they said, lest the earth swallow us up also, they just bolt. Verse 35, and there came out a fire from the Lord and consumed the 250 men that offered incense. That's interesting. They sinned the same exact way Aaron's son. They presented strange fire to the Lord. Fire that had not been consecrated by God, not chosen by God. And so they received the same punishment as Aaron's two sons did. Same exact thing. So, problem solved. God chose Aaron. God chose Moses. Thing is settled. And yet, the story's not over. Because guess who has to clean up the mess? Guess who has to work in the midst of tragedy right now? The ones that God did choose for this ministry. Look at verse 36. And the Lord spoke unto Moses, saying, Speak unto Eleazar, the son of Aaron the priest, that he take up the censers, he gather up the censers out of the burning the remains of their ashes. And that he scatter out the fire yonder, all the coals and the incense they had put inside. I can't use that. Take that and just scatter it out yonder. But just keep the censers for they are hallowed. They are holy to me. They're set apart for my use. Now that's interesting. Why would they be set apart for God's use if God didn't accept their offering? We'll get to that in a moment. God didn't accept their offering, but aren't you glad that Jesus, his offering was accepted by God? Because that means he can accept our offerings as well since we're in Christ. We don't ever have to be afraid of this happening. Well, God explains. He says, the censors of these sinners, why are they hollowed? The censors of these sinners against their own souls, take them and make them broad plates, flat sheets of metal for a covering of the altar. That's referring to the altar of sacrifice. They'll be like a plating around the altar of sacrifice for they offer them before the Lord. Therefore, they are hallowed. In other words, they can't be used for anything else. They can't be used for common use anymore because they were dedicated to the Lord. Now they were dedicated by wicked men, but I do have a use for them. Take them and cover the altar of sacrifice with it. Therefore, they are hallowed because they offered them to the Lord. But here's why, how God will use them. They shall be a sign or an example unto the children of Israel. Of what? Verses 39 and 40. And Eliezer the priest took the brazen centers wherewith they were burnt, had offered. From them were made broad plates for a covering of the altar. To be a memorial, therefore a place of reminder unto the children of Israel that no stranger, which is not of the seed, the descendants of Aaron, come near to offer incense before the Lord, so that he be not as Korah and as his company, as the Lord said to him by the hand of Moses, as the Lord had warned him from the beginning. The whole reason God says, I'm gonna take this and turn it into something good, a reminder, so no one makes the same mistake. Sadly, others did. You remember King Uzziah? He was a good king, a very good king. But in his latter years, he became very proud. And he said, you know what? Why do I have to kowtow to these priests? I can go in there. I know the Lord. And he went into the temple, and then not tabernacle. Now they actually had a temple. He was there trying to do the work of a priest. And as he was about to offer incense, the priest found him there and they said, don't do this. And the Lord judged him right on the spot and made him a leper. Sadly, people still do it today. 
I presume, to say, God, I don't need Jesus. I don't need a mediator between you and me. I can just go right to you just as I am. I've got my own way of making things right with you. I'll be a good person, or I'll have my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. And the Lord says, I can do nothing with that. Don't you remember what happened when Korah did this and all these people did this? Don't you remember when Uzziah did that? You need a mediator between you and me. And that's where Jesus comes in. 1 Timothy 2, 5 says, there is one mediator between God and man, and it's the man, Christ Jesus. Aren't you glad for that? That when we come through our great high priest, we are not that high priest. When we come through our great high priest, not only are we welcomed in, but he makes us a kingdom of priests that can go out and bring other people into. Remember that guy named On? Remember him in the beginning? Remember there were four guys, Korah, Datham, Abiram, and On. What happened to him? Notice he isn't mentioned in the rest of the chapter. Now, it's difficult for me to think that God would initially mention him, but that leaving him out, even though he experienced all the same judgments, because, well, he's just not important. So I have to wonder, did he change his mind? Did he withdraw after Moses' speech? We'll never know. But I know this. Even if no one ever listens to you, you're never wasting your breath when you plead with someone to repent. Never. Truth presented out of love is priceless. Keep doing so. And I also know this. If you've been in rebellion to the Lord or you've been stubbornly fighting him on some issue, you still have time to turn around. It's not too late. God doesn't want to discipline you. He wants to bless you. Whether on did or not, I don't know. But I know this. If you're on that list, it's real easy to remove your name. Just repent. God takes sin and rebellion very seriously. We can do nothing in our own strength or power to make ourselves right with the Almighty God. And we don't have to. All we must do is trust in his finished work on the cross. Repent. It is never too late. If you have any spiritual or physical need, please contact us. We would love to pray for you and assist you in any way we can. You can reach us at Calvary Chapel Orlando at 407-523-0800 during our office hours Tuesday through Friday, 9 a.m. to 4 p.m. This has been In the Word with Pastor Will, a ministry of Calvary Chapel of Orlando. You can listen to all of Pastor Will's sermons and find other valuable resources online at www.calvarychapelorlando.com or on the Calvary Chapel Orlando app, available on iTunes and Google Play. Thank you for joining us today. We will see you next time as we continue to learn, walk, and live in the Word.